They stood side by side, shoulder to shoulder, and answered the call. They moved forward, advancing the ideas that everyone was free, everyone was created equal, everyone has the right to pursue their own dreams, and that our nation was founded on those ideals. But not all of them came back. Some remained, never to go home, never to see their families. And some, we lost this side of the field of battle. They were sons and daughters, brothers and sisters, fathers and mothers, greatly loved. They charged forward for honor and peace and freedom. We acknowledge the empty space where we want them to be. Together we pay sincere tribute to those who fought for us, those we remember, those we love. So talk about people who understand uh, when it's difficult. And I, like, this, this weekend, I know that we, you know, we kind of focus on hot dogs and cookouts and going to the lake. Uh, I'm a big patriot, mostly because I'm American by choice, not by birth. And so we do this every so often. But if you are, I, I know that this is a day about people who gave their life. I mean, literally gave their life. But there's a whole subset of people who are still giving their life or have given at, at least their livelihood to defend this thing that we ought to be defending also. And so if you are a, a member of the military or any act, uh, branch of our services, or if you ever have been, I, we never do this, but would you, just, would you just stand up just for a minute and let us just celebrate you and honor you. You've ever been in the military or you are in the military. Stand up at home so we can clap for you. So good. I would salute you, but I've learned that it is improper to salute indoors as a member of the military. So we love you. We're so grateful to you, so grateful for you. And uh, thank you for defending this thing. I just said that a minute ago, but for defending the thing that we should still be defending. You defended with your life. Let us Defend it with us. So open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Uh, 2 Corinthians 1. If you don't have a Bible and you want to use one of these like traditional paper Bibles, then just raise your hand and we'll bring you one. You can either borrow that or you can keep it or you can open up the YouVersion app on your smart device. It's also called the Bible app and all the notes and scriptures have already been uploaded. If you're watching us online or at one of our services at the Brown County Correctional Facility. Uh, and then uh, we also have another 
avenue of watching us that I'm, I, I don't want to talk about it yet, but we're about to go to a whole nother place in the way that we broadcast. And so that it's going to be literally nationwide. And that's because of some of the stuff that you guys have done. Uh, but if you're on that side of the screen, we love you. And if you're on this side of the screen, we love you. Thank you for giving part of this holiday weekend. And it is so beautiful. It's like yesterday, it was like summer showed up. It was just like, ta-da! It's like it kicked in the door and it was like 84. It wasn't 80. It was probably 60. But in Green Bay, it definitely felt like 80. And so I, I took the whole day and, and cleaned out my garage. That was, and Isaiah said, my son Isaiah said to me, he goes, that's fun when you're your age, right? I go, no, that's not fun. What? <laughs> What age do you have to become to where cleaning your garage, being, that's never fun. And so anyway, so grateful for you guys. So glad that you're all a part of our family. So we're in the third week of this series of messages. And we've really been doing this series because of a survey where uh, literally thousands of people were asked about topics that they wanted to hear about in church. And so there were so many different responses, but we took the top four responses and decided to give four weeks to deal with four issues. But today, I actually simultaneously want to deal with about eight different topics and kind of group them together, things like tragedy and trauma, loss and loneliness, death and divorce. It's kind of like a what do I do when type of message that we're calling dealing with difficult times. Let's pray. God, we love you. Thank you for my friends who are here and my friends who are on the other side of this screen. God, I pray in Jesus' name that you'll give us peace. God, for those who did give their lives, you included for our freedom. Today, we pause for just a moment and we say thank you. Thank you for sacrifice and pray that we would return the favor by sacrificing a couple of things in our own lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Dealing with difficult times. Next week, I'm going to talk about dealing with difficult people. So if you have somebody that you're going to elbow next week, make sure you bring them. So uh, I wonder, have you ever dealt with difficult times? Everybody would answer, of course I have. We all do. Unfortunately, for so many people, difficult times have become the norm. For so many people, difficult times have become like the standard of their life. So much so that the more I dug into this topic, the more clear it became to me that our culture has actually adopted a new mantra. And it's really, it's just three words, and th this is the mantra of our culture. It's always something. <laughs> Isn't that true? Oh, it's always something. A few Saturdays ago, I had, I had one of those somethings. I was headed to bed, and I try to be responsible and go to bed pretty early on Saturday nights. And so I, I was just kind of like I was brushing my teeth. And, and as I was brushing my teeth, I, I went to turn the water off because uh, Pastor Sonny tells me I have to turn the water off while I'm brushing my teeth because I shouldn't run the water while I'm brushing my teeth because it's going to waste it because she grew up on a ranch where they had well water. I grew up in the city where we had nothing but water. It was dirty, but, you know, whatever. We never ran out of water. You know, it came out of the Detroit River, but whatever. It's toxic, but it ran all the time. And so I'm supposed to turn the water off when I brush my teeth. And so I was brushing my teeth. I went to turn the water off. And when I went to turn the water, the little, uh, the little handle thing off, it just... It, it just kept going. Like it just was spinning and then water just, 
It just was everywhere. And I thought, seriously? Because that's what I say whenever anything doesn't go right. That's my word. It's better than some words. I go, seriously? On a Saturday night? Like it could have happened on a Saturday morning when I had all day to fix it. But like Saturday, no matter which way you turned the little handle, it just, it just literally, there was water everywhere. I don't know how we got it to stop, but you know, this is the Holy Spirit. We just prayed. We lay hands on it. It just stopped. I don't know if that's how things work in your house, but that's how things work in my house. But it happened. I just went, oh, it's always something. Sometimes it's big. Sometimes it's small. But our, our general impression is that it never stops. It's always something. Which when you live your life by that mantra, really, it's totally exhausting. Like I know that my little faucet fiasco may seem small, but I've also had my fair share of like really tough, really tragic, really traumatic times too. And I, truth be told, I haven't always handled those situations in, in the best way, which when you don't deal with the tragic times in a healthy way, then the small stuff has a way of not seeming small. It seems significant. And so I spent this past week thinking about, praying about how do people typically deal with difficult times. And I came across a story from a Florida newspaper, and I thought that maybe you'd like this. It was about a guy who, who went through a difficult time, had a pretty bad day. And, and so there's this guy, and, and he was working on his, on his motorcycle out on his outdoor patio, and he decided that he would turn his motorcycle on so he could let it idle so that he could see where his progress was. And so he, he revved the engine, and somehow the bike slipped into gear. And before he could let go of the handlebars, the bike took off, and it took him with it, smashed right through the glass patio door, and landed in his living room. His wife comes running in. She heard the crash. She saw her husband like bleeding and on the floor and motorcycle parts scattered all around him. And so she did what every uh, good wife does. She said, what are you doing? No, she called, she called, you just messed up my carpet. She called 911 and the article says that the house is on the top of a hill. So the paramedics had to climb a bunch of stairs to get to him. And while they were carting him down, the stairs, his wife decided that she would take this opportunity to clean some of the mess up before she followed him to the hospital. And so she got some toilet paper. Not sure what she got. Didn't get paper towels. Maybe they were, maybe they were out. So she got some toilet paper and she kind of sopped up some of the gas that was all over the floor. And then she, she threw it in the toilet before she headed to the hospital. After a few hours, her husband was released, and so they went home. And, and when they got home, her husband, bandaged and bruised, walked in, saw the, sh like the shattered glass, the motorcycle parts everywhere, and he got totally discouraged. And this next part, y'all, I, I could never make this up. For whatever reason, this guy decides to go sit on the toilet and smoke a cigarette. <laughs> You're, you see where this train is going. And, and like when he was done... He took his cigarette. You know, smokers are smooth, first of all. Can I just talk about this? Smoking people know how to smoke. People who are new smokers, they don't know how to smoke. But you ever seen people who they've been smoking a minute? I don't know what that does, but they, you know, they hit the bottom of the pack. They take the cigarette out, and they got the lighter, and they... They're like, just something about it makes you look like James Dean. And it, like, makes the sound, it's like... Shh. 
And you can see some people, and you know. Like when you go to Europe, you see the pictures on the side of the box. People got holes in their throat. Teeth are rotted out their mouth. But some people can make smoking look so cool that you'd be like, it's worth it. You're like, well, this is so dope. And when they're done, some people, they do the thing to... <laughs> That's what a homeboy did. <laughs> and he flicked it in the toilet. <laughs> Boom! <laughs> His wife heard that, ran in, found him on one side of the bathroom and his pants on the other. Both of them <laughs> were a little burned up. And so she called 911 again. The same paramedic showed up, came back up the stairs, put him back on the stretcher, asked his wife what happened. When she told them the story, one of the paramedics, hand to God, he started laughing, started laughing so hard that they dumped him off the stretcher, down the hill, and he broke his arm. That's a bad day. It's always something. <laughs> if you're not smashing your motorcycle through a patio door, you're setting yourself on fire on the toilet. If it's not one thing, it's another. And it's kind of funny to read a story like that, but it's not funny to live a story like that. And so in the middle of your difficult times, you are going to be faced with some decisions because your feelings and your emotions are going to want to go one way, but your head and your heart need to go another, which is, which is easier said than it is done. And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to start where I would normally end and just start by encouraging you. Like, I, let me assure you, it may not seem like it right now, but God is on your side. He loves you. He understands. He knows what you're going through. And I promise he has not left. I promise that he is at work on whatever it is that's going on in your life. In fact, let me start with the end of a section of Scripture, and then I'm going to come back later at the end of the message with the beginning of the same passage of Scripture. It's in 2 Corinthians, and a guy named Paul, he's an apostle, he says this. He says, like, look, I go through it too. Like, just, just because God used me to write half the New Testament and I started all these churches all over the world, I don't want you to be uninformed about the fact that I had troubles in the province of Asia. I was under really great pressure, far beyond my ability to endure, and I despaired even of life itself. And I said this last week that this guy, Paul, the apostle, the saint, as some of you came up knowing him as. He, he was done. And he was saying, like, I, I can't take any more of this to the point where he wanted to end it all. He was totally overwhelmed with the difficulty of his life. I don't know if it was the guilt that he had from the life that he lived before. I don't know if it was the drama that he was going through in his life. I mean, when you read the life of Paul, I mean, he went through more things than any three people put together, but he had gotten to the point, y'all, where he was suicidal, which I'm so glad is in this book because it puts my stuff into perspective. It lets me know that I'm not as crazy as I think I am because even the greatest people of faith went through some deeply difficult times. So he said, we felt like we'd received the sentence of death, but this happened, pause, this happened for a reason. Because when something's happening to me, I need to understand that God is trying to do something in me. And my feelings and my emotions are going to want to go one way, but my heart and my head, they need to go another. He said, it happened 
so we wouldn't rely on ourselves because we serve a God for whom it is never too late. He said he is a God who raises the dead. He's delivered us from such deadly peril, and he's going to deliver us again. On him, we've set our hope that we will continue to be delivered. Here's what he's saying, and this needs to become our new mantra. Paul is saying he has, he will, and he will continue. He has, he will, and he'll continue as you help us by your prayers. And this is why it's super important that we have relationship with each other because we need each other, that God is going to deliver us as we help each other. He says, then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor God granted us in answer to the prayers of many. And did you catch his recognition? He is realizing that the result of his struggles is that other people are going to be encouraged as they watch me go through some difficult stuff. And that's what I want to help you with today. I want to help you in dealing with difficult times, or as we'd call it, surviving the storms. Because my pastor, the great uh, Fulton Buntain, he's in heaven now, he, he used to say, in our lives, we're either coming out of a storm, we're in the middle of a storm, or we're going into a storm. <laughs> Aren't you glad you came to church today so that you could be encouraged? Some of you might say, well, you need to be a little more positive. Well, I'm positive that you're either coming out of a storm, in the middle of a storm, or going into a storm. And so I, I want you to hear this like little message today uh, because I don't want you to be surprised when the storms happen to you. Because storms don't always strike. Sometimes they swell and we don't notice it. And so today I want to give you two things. I want to give you six stages of a storm. And I want to give you six steps to surviving a storm. And I'm going to, I'm going to spend most of the time on the stages. And then I'm going to come through at the end. And I'm going to like just rapid fire you the, the steps. Because I've also built the steps into the stages. And let me just talk about the elephant in the room. I have a mosquito bite on my hand, which is super annoying because now you're going to like see me doing this and you're going to see me doing this because yesterday while I was cleaning my garage, the only one helping me other than Pastor Sonny <laughs> were the mosquitoes. And they took an opportunity to bite me in four places, both ankles, this part of my hand, and right in the middle of my back. It was like they got together in a huddle and they said, where are the most inconvenient places that we can bite this guy? Bite him right in the middle of the back. That'll fix him. And so anyway, I'm going to give you six steps and six stages and I want you to write these down because you're going to need them someday, okay? Here's the first. The first stage of a storm is shock. You're like, I can't believe this is happening to me. I, I can't believe he died or I can't believe she left. Uh, I can't believe I got fired. Storms, there's a shock to them, a suddenness where they, they, they can sometimes sneak up and they can sometimes suddenly strike out of nowhere where we didn't see it coming, where we were blindsided. And so here's what we need to know when we're shocked, when we're caught off guard by any kind of grief or, or problem or trouble is don't trust your own instincts. You are the last person you should be taking advice from when you're in a storm. It's why one of the central messages of this whole book is that two are better than one. 
So when you're going through something difficult, like don't do it alone. Scripture says two are better than one, not only because they have a good return for their labor, but because there's going to be a day where you mess up. There's going to be a day where you fall, and I hate that for you. But when you do, if you're not alone, someone else can help you. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. So here's the deal. If you fall and you're alone, don't blame God. Don't blame other people because you were warned. Scripture already warned you to like gather people around you, not when you're in the storm, but before the storms happen. And I know, trust me, I know that when you mess up, when you fall, there is this emotional tendency to just try to get some distance, to try to, to get some space, to, to get alone. But this is not the time to push away. This is the time for you to press in. When life falls apart, do not run from God. Run to God. Because like you might be shocked, but he is not shocked by your storm. He was already making a way out of no way. Here's the second stage of a storm, and it is sorrow. And don't try to erase your sorrow. Try to exercise it. Like grief is actually a very healthy emotion. It is okay for you to have grief. It's okay for you to cry a little bit. And I know, guys, I know, some of you just turned, you just turned me down. But like my bride said, like last week, particularly in this service, I just, I just had like a good cry. I, I, I just had like this moment where I was totally wiped out. But listen, Jesus wept. It's the shortest verse in the Bible, but it is really long on meaning. And Scripture says, Jesus wept. And he wept because he lost his friend Lazarus. And listen, theologians can debate all they want about this one thing. But here's the realization that I've come to about that story. Even though Jesus knew that he was going to raise homeboy from the dead, he still paused and he still wept because he took time to grieve because he knew that at some point in your life, you were gonna need to take time to grieve. And so he took a commercial break even though he knew he was about to perform a miracle so that he could experience sorrow. In fact, it wasn't the first time. Scripture says that Jesus was a man of sorrows acquainted with the deepest of grief. The NIV says it like this. It says he was a man of suffering. And he was familiar with pain. He experienced everything that you're going to experience and me. And he did that on purpose. Jesus came, we know this. Jesus came for the expiation of our sins. He came to die for our sins. But here's the crazy thing. Like Jesus could have died at any, like Jesus could have done the delivery system any way that he wanted. What I find interesting is that Jesus chose to come and be born and to grow up human and to wait for 33 years before he gave his life for yours. And I believe he did that so he could experience every aspect of life that we would experience. The book of Hebrews says it like this. It says that Jesus would be tempted in all points that we are, except he didn't give in. He didn't sin. And he did that so that when you pray... Jesus would go, yep, I know what that's like. Or, uh, <laughs> I've been there. Or, yeah, I, I felt that temptation and that, that one's, 
I get it. That one's not easy. And I know that we want to look at Jesus in his deification, and we should look at him in his deification because <laughs> he was fully God, but he was also fully man, meaning every temptation that you experienced, he experienced the same thing, but when he experienced it, he hit the pause button so that you could someday beat the same thing that he was able to beat, so that he could look at you and say, I know that this is difficult. I know that this is strenuous, but you can beat this. I promise I've been there and I've done that. So we don't need to try to erase our sorrow. And yes, it's good for us to exercise it. But here's a, like we cannot embrace our sorrows because there is a dangerous place inside of our sorrow. And that's when you become overwhelmed by it, when you let it take over, when you let it last, when you let it linger. And the psalmist David talks about this in the 61st Psalm. He says, hear my cry, O God. Attend to my prayer. From the end of the earth, I will cry out. Now watch this. He said, when my heart is overwhelmed. And he recognizes when his heart's overwhelmed, he has to make a choice. He has to go a different direction. Like his feelings and his emotions are going to want to go one way. But his head and his heart are going to need to go the other. So here's the direction that he goes. He says, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. He's saying, I need to find a place that's firm, which for him and quite frankly for me has become a place of worship where he's saying, like, when I'm in trouble, I worship. And that's what I try to do. I try to, like, get into this place of worship. Like, you know that feeling that you feel when the band starts playing? And some of you guys, like, I watch it and you try to act like it's allergies. But some of you guys, like, you're just crying. There's maybe one, like, lone tear that you're trying to make your eyes suck back up into the lid. And you're like, no! And everyone, nobody sees it. But okay, I see it because I'm in the back. And so you just start crying. That's worship, y'all. It's not music. It's music that is worshipful. And you don't just have to get that here. And so we try to get, as a family, into a place of worship because worship changes everything. And so for us, we, we just, like, we got these speakers in our house, and for the last number of weeks, we've been trying to put worship on in our house, just really quiet. Like sometimes you can hear it, and sometimes you can't, but we've tried to get worship playing in our house 24 hours a day because that gets in you. And whatever gets in you in times of peace is going to come out of you in times of pain or in times of panic. And I wonder what's coming out of you. Whatever's coming out of you is a direct result of whatever you're putting in. Here's the third stage of a storm is a struggle. You were shocked. Then you were like, you were sad. You were filled with sorrow. But now you're beyond that. You're just mad. You're mad at them, you're mad at yourself, you're mad at God, and, and you're mad because you're wrestling with the why. You're saying like, why me? Why them? Why did this? Or why didn't that? Or, or why now? Or why not now? And, and can I just be honest, like for once, can a man of faith just level with you on like a normal human level? Most of the time, you're gonna ask that question and never get an answer. I mean, like, at least not on this side of eternity, on this side of forever, because we are a process people. And God does not fit into your process. It's not that God's not a process God, but God's process is different than ours because God is a providential God. 
And in his providence, he's outside of our time and space. So, so he can see the beginning from the end. He's able to, to see some things that you're not able to see. And, and you're not the first person to wrestle with the why. Some of the greatest men and women of faith that the world has ever known did the same thing. Like there's a guy in here, his name is Jeremiah. He wasn't a bullfrog. He was a prophet, it's, which means like he predicted stuff that actually ended up happening. And listen to this ridiculous verse that the prophet Jeremiah writes. He says, why was I born? Was it only to have trouble and sorrow to end my life in disgrace? Like this, this, is, a, like, this is a guy that was in the moment. He wasn't being able to see life for what it was. He didn't know, y'all. He didn't have the book. Like, he didn't know that he was going to end it. The publisher didn't tell him, stick it out, baby, because you're going to get two books in this thing. Like, you're going to write two chapters in the greatest selling book of all time. He had no idea that we'd be reading his words 3,000 years later, and that you and I would find peace in his pain. He had no idea when he was going through this stuff what an inspiration we would find in his frustration. And you have no idea what your struggles are stimulating in somebody else's life. Like, like you're in the middle of them. You're in the midst of them. You're wrestling with the why. Jeremiah didn't, quite frankly, so did Jesus. While Jesus was on the cross, he said these words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Like he's saying, bro, like I thought you were going to be with me in this. I thought that we were going to do this thing together, but suddenly I'm like in it and it feels like you're out of it. And when we wrestle with the why, we have to understand that God doesn't. He's not, un he's not wrestling with the why because he isn't in our situation. He's above our situation. He sees what we can't see. He sees the beginning from the end. It's like this old show, 24. Uh, years ago, I got a DVD set of a show called uh, 24. It's the greatest show in the history of television. Season one. The rest of them, eh, eh. But like we got the DVD set and Pastor Sonny and I, like we were caught up in it, y'all. It was like so intense. There's never been a more intense show. First of all, they had the greatest phone ringtone, ring, like and then a you know, ah! I would wake up in the night and I would hear that like, is my sleep is about to expire. And every episode ended on a cliffhanger. Jack Bauer was going to die. The whole world was going to explode. And Pastor Sandy and I would just look at each other at the end of an episode and be like, you do one more? Yeah, but it's like 2 a.m. Can we do one more? Yes, this is totally irresponsible. Let's do one more. Like I was so caught up. I was so sucked in thinking that the world was going to end. Until one day I thought, wait a minute. The world can't end. This is only season three. There are six seasons of this show. He's only in the middle. And that's some of you. God's on season six. Well, you're on season three thinking this episode's a cliffhanger. But your struggle isn't God's struggle. It's his segue to the fourth stage of a storm because this stage starts to show how we can see some solutions that switch. This switch is going to start with this one word, surrender. And this is where we stop fighting, where we stop ruminating, which I talked about last week. And it's this idea of us trying to figure things out on our own, where we get trapped in our own thoughts. And psychologists have found that the more you sit and try to figure things out on your own, the more depressed you become. Study it. It's a super fascinating study. It's called ruminating. It means that I'm going to obsess over the storm 
rather than thinking about the solution. And, and psychologists have discovered that more suicide and more depression and mental illness come from ruminating than from anything else on earth. It's the same idea as a cow chewing its cud. And when cows eat grass, they chew it, swallow it, regurgitate it, chew it, swallow it, regurgitate it, and they just keep throwing it up in their own mouth. But every time they chew it, swallow it, and regurgitate it, it comes back in a more disgusting, gross form. And that's our thought life. Sometimes we just recycle it, regurgitate it, repeat it, and it keeps getting worse, which is why the Proverbs say, like a dog that returns to its vomit, a fool repeats his folly. At, the, at some point, we have got to stop ruminating and start surrendering, which can be summarized in one word, trust. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding and all your ways submit to him and he will make your paths straight. And this is a lot of people's life verse, but unfortunately, it's not their life's practice. You can't recite it if you don't rely on it. Trusting God is the only pathway to peace. And some of you have no peace, and the only way that you're going to get it is to surrender. Open your hands and say, okay, God, you can drive. I move into the passenger seat, which is salvation, by the way. Salvation is the moment that you just allow God to control your life. When you surrender, and once you do that, you can move to the fifth stage of a storm, which is sanctification, which is a super churchy word, and we know that if you've been in church a long time, but this is really all sanctification means. It means being set apart for the use intended by the designer, which is like the one thing no one over 40 does with their iPhone. No one's iPhone if, like, is sanctified because we, just, we actually use it to make phone calls. But if you want to know the actual use of an iPhone, put it in the hand of anyone under 15, and they will tell you everything that that phone is designed to do. And this sanctification is the stage where your loss becomes someone else's lesson. I love how the book of Romans says it. It says, we continue to shout our praise even when we're hemmed in with troubles because we know how troubles can develop passionate patience in us and how that patience in turn forges the tempered steel of virtue, keeping us alert for whatever God will do next. Now, God doesn't create pain in your life, but he does have a beautiful way of cashing it in in the lives of others. So if we'll submit it to him, our pain, He'll forge it into tempered steel. But tempering steel requires heat. It requires sparks. It requires great pressure. But those things create a clean, sharp edge, which is what God's trying to do. He's trying to create a clean, sharp edge in you. But that takes friction, which is why James, the earthly half-brother of Jesus, said, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. Think about this. If we went around this room and we just asked every person in this room to share like an important life lesson that they like have stored up in their brain, you would be far more likely to share a difficult time than you would about an easy time. This is how St. Peter said it. He said, be truly glad. There's wonderful joy ahead, even though you have to endure trials for a little while, these trials will show you your faith is genuine. It's being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring much praise, glory, and honor on the day that Jesus is revealed to the whole world. So he's saying when the heat is turned up in your life, God's taking that as an opportunity to skim the impurities off the top. 
So it has to change your pain perspective. Your pain is either a jail that imprisons you or a school that instructs you. The one that it is, that's your choice. So now that I've gotten through the shock, the sorrow and struggle, now that I've surrendered myself to the process and allowed myself to be sanctified, which is used for the purpose I was created, I can move to the sixth stage of a storm and be led to a life of service. And y'all, the number of things that I can relate to in the lives of people has been multiplied because of the storms that I've had to endure in my life. Tragedy and trauma, loss and loneliness, death, divorce, because God wants to use our mess-ups to magnify his message. But some of you have disqualified yourself from leadership. And I go, why? I get this all the time. Well, you don't, you don't want me doing anything around here. My life's a mess. And I go, are you kidding me? You're perfect. You're hired. You're, you're the one. You're the perfect candidate. The, you're, <coughs> excuse me. You're the one we need the most. Because I'd rather be around people who've been damaged than people who are in denial. We are all damaged. We're, we're all just wounded warriors. It's, it's why when you go back to the original verse that St. Paul wrote, he said, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our trouble so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort that we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Jesus, so also our comfort abounds through him. If we're distressed, it's for your comfort and salvation. If we're comforted, it's for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance, the same sufferings that we have suffered. And our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, you're also going to share in our comfort. So he's saying that there can be purpose in your pain if you'll let God use it. And so let me wrap this up by showing you like uh, six steps of surviving a storm. Here they are, rapid fire. To survive a storm, you have to choose to run to God rather than others. You have to choose to worship. You have to choose to focus on eternity. Choose to trust God's process. Choose to learn from your problems. And choose to let your pain help others. Here's the deal. I might not be able to control what happens to me, but with God's help, I can choose my response. So all I'm wondering today is what response will you choose? Will you close your eyes all across this place? What response will you choose? The first response of which is how will you respond to this feeling that some of you have in you right now? There's a feeling that's welling up in some people in this room, and it is a feeling that you need to change. There's like this spiritual, emotional, like stirring that's happening in some people. And this is that point that we get to that we call salvation where you go, like, nothing in my life has been working to this point, and I need to just move over, and I need to allow Jesus to control my life. If you're here, and you say, like, I've tried it all, and I can't control what's going on in my life, we're going to do two things. First is, with nobody looking around, I'm going to ask for people to raise their hand and, and make eye contact with me. That's people recognizing and saying that they need to change their life. Then, After that, I'm going to ask everybody in here to repeat a prayer after me. And when you repeat that prayer, that is your confession and your profession that you need to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. So if you've gotten to that point this morning, I'm going to give you the opportunity. So if you're here today and you say, Sean, I need a relationship with Jesus and I don't have one. Would you raise your hand and make eye contact with me right now? Thanks, 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 thanks. Thanks, thanks, thanks. Thanks. 
I'm going to ask everybody in here to say these words after me. Say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I've been wrong. Please forgive me. I believe you can change me. Come into my life. Make me different. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, if you prayed that prayer, would you do us a favor? Take the hello card that's in your seat back. Tear off the bottom part. Fill it out. Check the yellow box and either put it in the black buckets when they come around at the end or take it to the Welcome Center so that we can get the opportunity to follow up with you and to pray for you. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes one more time. Don't leave yet. Just hold tight. Pastor Sonny's going to close this out here in just a second. But I wonder if you're here and you say, like, I'm saved. Like, I'm a Jesus guy or I'm a Jesus girl. But you're, like, you're just in a storm. I don't know what that storm is. Maybe it's a relational storm or a financial storm or an emotional storm. I, I've been in all of them. So if you're in a storm, Jesus can just say to it, peace be still. So if you want that over your life, would you just raise your hand? I'd really like to pray for you. So many people. God, thank you for my friends who are in this place. I pray blessings on them and peace and comfort. Say, peace be still. In Jesus' name, amen.